Well, it's good to see you this morning. Have you had a good week? Well, 15% of you have. <laughs> Something interesting happened uh, on the University of Kentucky campus in Lexington this week. There was a, you're familiar with street preachers, but you have sidewalk preachers, and there was this group showed up on campus walking around preaching, and usually the ones who do that carry signs, and they preach about judgment and hell and sinners, and you, you get the picture. It's not very effective, but they do it in... And anyhow, what was interesting about this one, and it made the media because uh, two students had this bright idea while this uh, one guy was walking around with his headset microphone, you know, preaching like the sidewalk street preachers do. Uh, they decided they, they, they'd follow him. And so one of them was carrying a boombox, and the other one had a microphone that was hooked up to it. And as this street preacher was walking around campus preaching, these two students followed behind him reading the Harry Potter book. <laughs> And it makes for, you know, comedy when the world looks at that. I don't think it's an effective strategy for evangelism. But, having said that, these preachers do raise some important questions. For instance, does God still judge nations? That's an important question, isn't it? Is it possible that God is already judging America? And if not, He will judge America. And if God is judging America, can we do anything to avoid it? Is there anything that you and me, those of us in this room, those who are watching by television, can do so that America will avoid the coming judgment of God? Now let me ask you, why should you care about that? Let me make it really clear. You need to care about whether or not America is under the judgment of God because when God judges this country, you and I are going to also suffer along with everybody else in the country. And here's another reason you need to care whether or not this country is under the judgment of God. It's not only you and me, but it's our children and our grandchildren who will be impacted by the judgment of God on this nation. So, so it's an important question and something that, that, that each of us need to take seriously in our own lives. And, and think about the implications for us as followers of Christ. Now, the prophets in the Old Testament make it very clear God judges nations. Not just Israel, not just Judah, but nations. We've already seen in these sermons that God has judged Ammon and, and uh, Edom and Syria and Phoenicia and Philistia and, and, and others. They talk about the, the judgment of God on Assyria and on Babylon but mostly the judgment of God on the people of God. The two nations that existed after the civil war in Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Amos and Hosea, who we looked at in recent weeks, made it very clear that unless they repented, they would be under the judgment of God, facing exile. And now comes this prophet Micah. Micah's a, a country preacher, if you will. He's from a farming village. And he paints this, <clears throat> this vivid picture 
I mean, he, he paints it in a, in a way that the others don't. It's a very vivid picture in the first chapter of Micah of God's judgment on both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. But he also, he also does something else. He tells them how they can avoid the judgment of God. And so we're going to look at that vivid picture. But we're also going to focus for a few moments on what he tells them about avoiding the judgment of God so that you and I can understand what we can do, need to do, if there's any hope of this nation avoiding the judgment of God. Now Micah chapter 1 verse 1, stand with me in honor of God's word as we read together. Chapter 1, I want to begin with verse 1 in Micah. The Bible says, The word of the Lord which came to Micah of Morsheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom, and sometimes the whole nation of Israel was referred to as Samaria. And Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, in that simple verse, we, we, we learn a lot about Micah. As I said, he's from this small farming village. He's a country preacher. He preaches at the same time as the prophet Isaiah. And I put a timeline on the screen for you, and the ones in large, all caps, are the major prophets. The others are the minor prophets. And you see that he and Isaiah's ministry overlapped, and he began toward the the end of Hosea's ministry. Whereas Isaiah was a, a prominent man from a prominent family, was a royal advisor. I mean, the kings didn't often listen to Isaiah, but he was a royal advisor. Isaiah is this country, I mean, uh, Micah is this country preacher who shows up in, in the city, if you will. And, and he lived, he preached for years, and he lived long enough that in 722 B.C., he saw the judgment of God that he, Amos, Hosea, and others had preached. He, saw, he lived long enough to see the judgment of God fall on the northern kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom of Samaria. When in 722, the Assyrians laid waste to that kingdom and deported the population and brought others in and resettled them there. He lived to see that. And he had, he had warned them about that judgment. And he was, he was warning Judah, the southern kingdom, he said, unless you repent, you're going to suffer the same fate. And chapter 1 is a sermon he preached, basically. Shortly before 722, when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom. And so let's look at that sermon very briefly, beginning at verse 2 of chapter 1. He says, Hear, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth, and all it contains, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. Referring to heaven. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He's coming down from his temple in heaven. And he will come down and tread on the high places of the earth, the mountains. The mountains will melt under him and the valleys will be split, sort of like an earthquake. And like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. And this is for the rebellion of Jacob, for the sins of the house of Israel, What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? In other words, it's the way the leaders in the capital are leading the people. What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem where the leaders of the southern kingdom are leading the people astray? 
He says, for I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country. Planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. Now here's the vivid description of the judgment of God coming on the northern kingdom. He said you need to picture God in heaven leaving his throne coming down to earth. And in dramatic fashion, when God lands on earth, his feet will stomp on top of the mountains and they'll be smashed. And the valleys below will split open, making room for those crushing mountains to tumble down into. And those mountains will collapse like wax melting before a fire and like water running down a steep cliff. And all that will remain are ruins. That's exactly what happened in 722 as the Assyrians destroyed that nation. Laid waste to it. Hosea and Amos, in talking about the sins of the northern kingdom and also the southern kingdom, talked about, as we've seen already, the the economic injustices, the political corruption, the religious corruption, the moral corruption, the crooked business practices. And Micah touches on those, but Micah... In dramatic fashion describing the impending judgment in verse 7 focuses on one more thing we mentioned previously. He said in verse 7, all her idols will be smashed. Remember, they were co-mingling the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel, with the Baals, the, the pagan gods, and they would have all these idols. He said all of her idols will be smashed and her, her earnings, the money. Now listen. Her earnings will be burned with fire, and all her images I will make desolate, for she collected them from a harlot's earnings, and to the earnings of a harlot they will return. You remember a few weeks ago I mentioned sacred prostitution was part of the worship in the northern kingdom? It's how they funded their places of worship in the northern kingdom. Just one picture just a brief description and you can you in your imagination can 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 figure out what was going on the lewdness the sexual immorality even within if i could say it today even within the church and you think about the decaying sexual ethics of our nation The changing attitudes about what is morally accepted. The Gallup organization recently released some data comparing what Americans think is morally right, morally wrong today compared to, say, 15 years ago. In 2001, 40% of Americans said homosexuality was morally acceptable, morally correct, okay, good. Today, it's 63%. You can see the trend line. Sex between people who are not married to each other. In 2001, 53% said it was morally acceptable. Today, 68%. You see the trend line. But here's what I want you to get. It's happening in the churches too. Because there was a research project two years ago at the University of Texas. And part of that, they were able to break out the attitudes of church-going Christians. So we're only talking about church-going Christians, okay? Church-going Christians, this is it, no one else. Church-going Christians. 
and of the church-going Christians who had been influenced by the culture to the extent that they said homosexual marriage was morally good, morally acceptable. Okay, So you can see on a sexual ethics, they've moved away from biblical teaching into a very liberal, non-biblical acceptance of what God says is sin. Of the church-going Christians who think like that, they tend to be more loose and, pr- and promiscuous on other sexual ethics and denying what the Bible says about other things as well. Those who go to church all the time that say homosexual marriage is morally acceptable are seven times more likely than others who go to church to say pornography is morally acceptable. Six and a half times more likely to say that sex with no strings attached is okay. Thirteen times more likely to say that a threesome is okay. Three and a half times more likely to say that sex before marriage is okay. And six times more likely to say that abortion is okay, morally. So it's not just the culture. It's not just the world. Increasingly, it's church-going people who say, I know the Bible says, but I... And I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. Anytime you find yourself saying or thinking, I know the Bible says, but I think you're headed down a dangerous path. And one thing the scripture makes clear is that this kind of sexual promiscuity and immorality is something that God judges. Namaka chapter 1 verse 9. Verse 9. He says her wound, talking about the northern kingdom of Israel, is incurable. It's too late. Nothing can be done to fix it for the northern kingdom. It's settled. For it has come to Judah, it has reached the gate of my people, even Jerusalem. And at the end of verse 12, because a calamity has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that Micah was preaching in the southern kingdom to Judah along with Isaiah. And what this country preacher says is after describing this, this vivid image of the judgment of God, God coming down from the throne trampling the mountains and all of the destruction that will fall on the northern kingdom of Samaria, what he said was, Samaria, it's too late for you. It's in Kiro. It's going to happen. But this avalanche that has flowed down and overwhelmed the northern kingdom of Samaria is now at the gate of Jerusalem. Now at the gate of of Judah. Judah, it's not too late for you, but you don't have a lot of time left. It's at the gate. It's at the door. It's a vivid image of the judgment of God. And in chapter 2, verse 4, he said that judgment's going to involve deportation, that God's going to take those who are not followers of God, the apostate, and he's going to resettle them in your land. That's what Assyria did to the northern kingdom, and he's saying to the southern kingdom, unless you repent, it's going to happen to you too. You're going to be deported, and the, the nation that conquers you is going to bring others in, apostates, non-believers, and going to settle them in your homes. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, he said it's going to be a, a painful, painful experience. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. He said, therefore, on account of you, Zion... Zion, the 
the, another name for Jerusalem, another name sometimes for the Temple Mount where, the, where Solomon's temple was located. Zion will be plowed as a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the temple will become high places for a force. He said the very place where Solomon's glorious temple now stands, unless you turn and get right, is going to be a lump of dirt on which trees start growing. The judgment of God will be devastating. And as I said in 722, it happened to Israel. But, 722, it happened to Israel, the northern kingdom. But, something happened. And the judgment of God on the southern kingdom of of Judah was delayed for over a century. It didn't fall on Judah. It started in 606 and was concluded in 587. Over a century it was delayed. And when it actually fell on them, according to Jeremiah, who preached 100 years later, it was because of the sins of the generation when it happened in 587. So something happened with this generation that Micah's preaching to. Something took place that caused the judgment of God that was at the gate to be delayed, postponed, until a future generation sinned in such a way that it eventually came. What happened? What happened? Well, the only clue we have from Micah is verse 1. We learn what happened from the book of Jeremiah written over a century later and the book of Second Kings. You'll notice in verse 1... Micah had a lengthy ministry, preached during the the reign of three kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the king when the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria in 722 B.C. Hezekiah was the king when Micah was preaching this impending judgment. And you know what happened? Hezekiah listened to and obeyed the preaching of Isaiah and Micah and led to a revival in the nation. And God's judgment was delayed for over a century. In 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah sins for Isaiah and listens and repents. Over a hundred years later, Jeremiah's a prophet in Jerusalem. And he's telling the people of his generation, over centuries past, telling the people of his generation about their sin. And unless they repent, the Babylonians who had since conquered the Assyrians and was the dominant power in the world, the Babylonians would lay siege to Jerusalem, deport the people as slaves, as exiles, and bring others in and settle them in, in Jerusalem and Judah. And he said, listen to this, Jeremiah said... Jeremiah said, Babylon was God's servant to bring judgment on his people, Judah. Now, they didn't listen to Jeremiah. And so in 587, judgment fell on Judah. But on one occasion, they arrested Jeremiah. They were so frustrated with his preaching, they arrested him, brought him in, and wanted to execute him. But there were some people who stood up and defended Jeremiah. 
And in Jeremiah chapter 26, this is what they said. Micah of Morsheth, who's that? The one we're talking about today, who had preached over a hundred years before Jeremiah's day. He said, Micah prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And he spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus the Lord of hosts has said, Zion will be plowed as a field, Jerusalem will become ruins, and the mountain of the house as a high place of a force. Did we just read that in Micah? Next verse. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death like they were wanting to do with Jeremiah? The idea is no, they didn't. What did they do? They feared the Lord, entreated the favor of the Lord, and the Lord changed his mind about the misfortune which he had pronounced against them. What's he saying? He's saying that a century before when Micah and Isaiah preached, Hezekiah and the people listened. And they feared God and they repented, and God did not judge them. So here's one example in Scripture of God's judgment being delayed because of the response of the people and their leaders. Now, my brothers and sisters, listen to me. More than other attributes of political leaders, more than all the attributes we can put on a piece of paper, you better find people who are good in their heart and godly to vote for. Now that's not always easy, is it? But the people of God need to pay attention to that. We also need to pay attention to it in our own lives. And here's a lesson I want you to take to heart. Righteousness doesn't last forever. In your own life, is it not true that there are seasons when you're more obedient to God than other seasons? Well, righteousness in one generation does not automatically transfer to the next generation. The people in Micah's day were sinning, but they repented and judgment was avoided. century later, three generations later, no righteousness, didn't repent, and judgment ultimately, ultimately failed on Judah. And, and listen, parents and grandparents, what you're doing with your children matters not only for their life, but for the future of this country. And, and, and you better do more than just tell them church is important. You better show them. Because if church for you is something you do when it's, you know, convenient in other words when there's not something else that's more important to do you're telling them that god matters but he doesn't matter most whether you intend to tell them that or not that's exactly what you're teaching them so what can you and i do what did they do what can you and i do to avoid the judgment of god not only in our own lives but in this nation I said this a few weeks ago. I'm not sure you heard it and some of you even liked it, but I want you to hear it again because Micah says the same thing. The first thing, the first thing, the first thing is you and I repenting for the sins of this nation. Look at Micah chapter 1 verse 8. 
Micah, after preaching this sermon, when she describes the judgment of God that's coming down, he said, because of this, I must lament and wail. I must go barefoot and naked. I must make a lament like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches. What's he saying? Cutting off your hair and putting on sackcloth was mourning, whether it was a death or a time of repentance because of sin. And he's saying, I'm going to cut off my hair and I'm going to weep and wail and mourn. I'm repenting on behalf of this people. You're not going to be effective in helping anybody understand their own sin. You're not going to be effective in helping this country understand its needs and problems if you're not brokenhearted for this country and repenting on behalf of this country and weeping. If all you're doing is yelling, you're not, you're not getting the message of God out. The prophets of God weeped and wailed and repented on behalf of the nation. That's the starting point. Remember that verse we love to quote. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. You remember the verse? Where does it start? The house of God. We want it to start everywhere else but with us. Micah repented on the nation's behalf. Secondly, we can also then, then, then call on our nation to repent. Chapter 1 verse 16. Micah says to them, make yourself bald and cut off your hair. Because of the children of your delight. He's talking to the political leaders in Jerusalem and in Samaria. The children are the citizens. We can call the nation to repent, but not until we repent. Third, we can live like Christians are supposed to live. Chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's that's what God wants from his people. To do justice. Treat people right. Care about the institutions and systems of this country, and are they doing things right and ethical? Love kindness. It's an indictment that sometimes those of us who believe the Word of God are known as the meanest people on the planet. Love kindness. You ever notice how many times God talks about kindness in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament? Just do a study on it sometime. Kindness. And walk humbly with your God. Live like a Christian supposed to live. Number four, cling to God and never depart from Him. Don't let anything tear you away from Jesus Christ. In 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 6, Hezekiah, the king who led that revival, that averted judgment, it says he clung to the Lord. I love that he clung. He, 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 uh, I mistyped that. It's supposed to be clung, not cling. Same thing. Just grab hold and hold on and never depart from him. Clung to the Lord and kept his commandments. Let me ask you, how passionate, how passionate are you about holding on to Jesus? 
I mean, we know you were in his hands and he's never going to let go of us. But how passionate are you about holding on to Jesus? Now, not just here at church, but when you get to work tomorrow. Or when you're hanging out with your buddies on Friday night. Or when you're at that ball game, tailgating. Or when you're on that business trip or vacation and nobody there knows you. How passionate are you about hanging on to Jesus? The other thing we, we can do is pray fervently for our nation. Hezekiah received a threatening letter from the king of Assyria. And this is after Assyria had devastated the northern kingdom. And so they sent him Hezekiah a letter and said, we're going to do the same thing to you. And what does Hezekiah do? And in 2 Kings chapter 19, there's a bunch of verses. Don't have time to read them. You can jot them down. But basically he, went, he, he, he talked to Isaiah and then he goes to the temple and he takes this letter and he just lays it out before God and he gets on his face before God and he prays. And he prays, and he prays. I've said many times, if we spend as much time praying for America as we do criticizing America, it might be amazing what God would do. Pray for people instead of criticize them. People of God, watch your tongue. God wants kindness from the people of God. Watch your tongue when you talk about other people and public figures. Watch your tongue. Every idle word man speaks, God will hold us accountable for. Revival begins, judgment begins at the house of God. We can't expect lost, the lost world to act like Christians. We're supposed to act like Christians because we are Christians. So pray for our nation's problems. And then number six, and the last one, pray for, for God to raise up godly leaders like Hezekiah in America at every level of American society. And I don't know about you, but in two weeks on Wednesday, November 2nd, we're going to be in this room at 630 praying for America. I don't know where you're going to be. That's where, this is where I'm going to be. And you're praying for America on Wednesday, November 2nd. I don't know where you're going to be, but that weekend before Thanksgiving, I'm going to be with the people of this church, the people of God, in homes and here at this church praying in that prayer empowering weekend. That's where I'm going to be. I don't know where you're going to be, but that's where I'm going to be. You, you want to see God do something in this country? Then get on our face before God. Now, are you willing to seek God for the future of this nation. Are you living more like the people in this culture or the people of God? Is there sin in your life of which you need to repent? Are you clinging to Jesus or becoming more like everybody else? Are you obeying what the Word of God says about morality and ethics? Or accepting what those who reject the Word of God say about morality and ethics? Are you obeying the commandments of God? Or just the ones you like? Questions. 
that every follower of Jesus needs to answer. Let's stand.